Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I am your host, Brad Whipple, and welcome to part three. If you've made it this far, God bless your soul. I don't know how, but welcome. Welcome to our finale for our coverage for From a Certain Point of View, The Empire Strikes Back from Delray Publishing. 40 authors, 40 stories, celebrating 40 years of one of the saga's best films, and super excited. Welcome back, Sarah. Obviously, we didn't recast you for part three. We don't do that here. But Thank welcome. God, because I read this whole book. And um, yeah. I, there are some good stories that I really want to talk about. So I'm glad to be here. And joining us for part three, it's been a little bit uh, since March, actually. I think it was uh, pre, pre-pandemic, potentially. Brandon from Talking Bay 94. Brandon, how's it going? Welcome back. It's going good. Thank you for having me back. I can't believe that after me spending two hours bashing on um, the uh, Rise Terrio. of Skywalker documentary that you, <laughs> you, you invited me back. So I appreciate the invite. <laughs> on today's episode, for those of you listening, we are going to be discussing chapters 28 through 40. So we are closing out with a bang. We got Wilro Hood on the docket. We got some Alexander Freed back in the mix. We got some Wills. Uh, it's some crazy stuff going on. This last stretch of the book, there is some weird stuff, especially. So I'm excited to to get into it. But Brandon, before we get started, a little bit of an introduction for yourself, if you wouldn't mind, for our listeners who might not know about Talking Bay 94. Yeah, um, I'm Brandon. I'm the host of Talking Bay 94, which every week I just interview someone that worked on Star Wars, whether cast, crew, or creator, as I like to say. Um, so it's a lot of ILM um, visual effects legends or actors or uh writers but just every week is is someone that i think is interesting but that (laughs) had to had to work on star wars in some official capacity so that's talking bay uh and if you hate my voice during this podcast i edit it thoroughly and you barely hear me in my actual episode (laughs) so that's that's my disclaimer here if you hate this please still check out talking bay it's how the magic happens i i've been there don't worry (laughs) so yeah it's uh, a great podcast and you also just did your three three author roundtable with uh, Delilah Dawson, John Jackson Miller, and Tracy Dion. So for those of you listening, I'd, I'd recommend checking that out as well after this. And you interviewed Gary Witta. So Fact Pop yeah. coverage has been really great from a lot of different <laughs> sources recently. Yeah. So it's just been awesome to see the, the community rallying behind this, this book. I'm excited. Brandon, I want to hear from you before we get started too. Empire Strikes Back, where do you kind of consider it in your overall Star Wars uh, favorites? And why do you think it's such an important and monumental film in the Star Wars saga? Yeah, I, so I love Empire Strikes Back. Um, I grew up in a, in a great period where I was able to see the special editions and then pretty much immediately after see Phantom Menace and kind of be a sequel trilogy kid. Um, but for, you know, three years, my main movies were the original trilogy. So the Empire Strikes Back has always been very important to me. Um, and then even if you go from a visual effects perspective or just like the, the risk that Lucas took to make Empire happen, um, it really is like the biggest independent movie of all time, right? He risked literally everything that he made on the original Star Wars to make Empire. And so it all had to be literally better than the original in both content and also in how much box office it got. Uh, and it did. <laughs> like it, it was the riskiest <laughs> thing Lucas ever did, and it worked. And that's how he was able to finance the rest of everything he ever did. Um, so for all of that, like Empire has a very special place in my heart. I think it used to be my number two, uh, and then Last Jedi came out, so it's now my number three. 
Um, but it is like uh, just a, a very, very, very special movie for me. And so it was really nice seeing them continue this, the, as you guys call it, FACPOV um, treatment for it. Because it, it was really, really fun. Have you watched the movie since you finished FACPOV, as the not. cool kids would say? <laughs> I have not. And that's a, a great idea because I, I don't know about y'all, but during this whole quarantine, Lucasfilm and Disney or whatever, I was like, hey, we're putting Empire back on whatever. And like, I'm not going to go to a theater. But I did see it um, at a drive-in on my birthday. My, my fiance took me and it was like the best. <laughs> it was like the best like possible way to watch Empire yeah. again. Um, but that was back in July. So that was a while ago. Um, but I probably will. Maybe I watch that tonight. That sounds like a great. Yeah, movie. I just watched it this morning. It was a trip. There were some moments where I was like, "Oh, like you know the Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's like pointing at the TV." That was like <laughs> me for two hours. <laughs> that's great. Like I know what they oh, are that's feeling. A good idea. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there in your chair, going, "Well, from a certain point of view," and then you know somebody just next to you just punching you in the shoulder to shut up. So that's generally how it goes. Ex- like literally every time. Literally every time, like you're like from a certain point of view of that, and you're like, just shut up. Just shut up. I'm like, just shut up, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the the first Fakpov, uh, Brandon? Did you did you uh, how did you think that the Empire Strikes Back compares to that? Were you more excited for this one than you were for the first go around? Since you kind of knew what to expect, but also in the context of this amazing film that is pretty rich and pretty dark. Yeah, and I think. Because I loved the first one, and I thought it was such a fun idea. And I was like, if that never happens again, that's a great thing that they did. Because I grew up reading like the tales from Jawa's Palace, the tales from the Cantina, tales from the New Republic, uh, and those were very like formative because it really brought credence to like a lot of the background characters that I loved and that I still obviously like gravitate towards in, t- in terms of who I interview and who I talk to. Um, and so I was very excited when they announced this new one because I was like, oh, like the first one was great. Uh, the audiobook was also great for the first one. I haven't listened to the audiobook for this one yet, um, but I really enjoyed kind of the whole experience around it. Um, and this one really did not disappoint. And we can talk about final ratings at the end, but I really, <laughs> I like powered through this because I loved, I loved uh, getting this whole new, whole new look at it. So, yeah, I will say as somebody who has listened to the audiobook, um, the audiobook is also quite excellent for this oh, um, installment. Hear, yeah. And I, uh, I was talking about it in our part one, um, but the comic is narrated in the audiobook <laughs> with a lot of noises, and it is like the best a minute and a half, because oh, the comic great. isn't in the first audiobook, um, but the comic is in this one, and I think that that's just great. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Is that like Dagobah ASMR, basically? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. I would listen to it. <laughs> Diego about lo-fi hip-hop beats. Put that on YouTube and make a bunch of Yes, money. let's do it. Dragon Snakes needs a study too. <laughs> so now that we've talked about just kind of uh, the FACPOV overall, Brennan, what were your specific thoughts on this installment? Why did it work for you? What didn't work about it? What surprised you? And what are some of your biggest takeaways from FACPOV ESB? Yeah, I mean, the biggest difference between Star Wars and Empire in my mind and it translates to the page as well, is that there aren't as many, let's say, background characters or aliens or whatever it is, right? In, in A New Hope, you have the Cantina. In um, Return of the Jedi, you have Jabba's Palace and the Ewoks. And so there are a lot of, like, you know, people that might have had an action figure but never really have had a story. And with Empire, it's a little bit different, right? You do have 
uh, Echo Base, but no no aliens per se, right? Besides the Wampa and the Tauntauns. And then you have a lot of Empire stuff. And then you have kind of the Bespin section of it all, which we'll be talking about. And so it was very, it was interesting to me going in. I was like, what are they going to be talking about? Who are the focuses? Because in my mind, the first Backpov was more like alien creature based, um, which might have just been my bias. But then moving into the second, I was like, oh, how are they going to kind of tell 40 stories out of Empire, which seems to me more streamlined. But, yeah. but they proved me wrong. So. What I found interesting about this book, too, is it, it focused a lot on ideas of like hope and rising up. And it's interesting to present that idea in a story where the Empire is striking back and where they're going to be winning and it's going to be a bad ending relative for the rebels. But I think that was really cool to have so many of these stories baked in with the idea of hope and holding on to it, despite like some of the worst conditions possible and some of the worst losses. And yeah, even like a, a city like Cloud City, building out some of that culture and that and that, uh, you know, having like things like a workers revolts and <laughs> learning about. <laughs> actually like the ordinary people of both the rebellion and of cloud city who are affected the most probably by the actions of the empire not just the heroes like the heroes are able to escape off cloud city they're fine they're gonna go off and fight some more adventures but the people on cloud city are occupied for quite some time in the in the wake of of that battle and that occupation and uh, it's going to be a long arduous journey for them and we get to kind of see how it affects them even the most i don't have a landing permit I'm trying to reach Lando Calrissian. Whoa, oh, wait, wait a minute, let me explain. You will not deviate from your present course. Rather touchy, aren't they? I thought you knew this person. Well, that was a long time ago. I'm sure he's forgotten about that. With that being said, we're going to head right into our discussion for each of these last 13 chapters that we're going to be looking at today so the first one we're going to go over is fake it till you make it by kevin scott featuring jackson the leppy he looks like a rabbit he's a green rabbit pretty cute guy honestly but he's got a lot of swag for sure i think he's a little bit full of himself but uh kevin scott writing this i felt like it was pretty appropriate because i think jackson has been in some of kevin scott's comics i haven't actually read read those ones just yet but uh brandon i know you mark this as one of your uh, one of the ones that you liked in this section, especially. So why don't you take us away with some of your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts are more generally like, uh, hell yes, they put Jackson in a Star Wars book uh, after 40 years. Uh, and that's more like we're talking like it's it's easy with these books to get um, maybe distracted by like something fancy or like something that's kind of like funny. And this really distracted me. <laughs> I was very excited to see Jackson. I really loved how Kevin wrote it, and I know how big of a fan he is of Jackson and how he's been kind of like needling the story group over the past few years to like put him into more and more things, which I love. I love just someone like doing something dumb like that and just continuing to make it happen. Um, but I mean, for the people listening, Jackson uh, was one of the first expanded universe characters, period. Um, he was in the issues immediately following the Marvel adaptation of the original Star Wars. So uh, there was Splinter of the Mind's Eye and there was the Marvel comics. Um, that were telling the story between A New Hope and Empire. And he was like, they did like kind of a Kurosawa, uh, Magnus Magnificent Seven kind of thing. Um, and there was a big green rabbit. That was Han Solo's uh, <laughs> cohort during all of it with Chewbacca. And, um, and so it's always funny to see him. And I loved how it was written. I have notes like the first few pages when you're reading it, if you didn't know it was a big bunny 
by seeing the picture, if you read it just straight on, you would think that maybe it was just Lando walking around Cloud City, where I was talking about the cape and talking about the swag and talking about whatever. And so I loved the kind of turn of it being Jackson and kind of the, the yeah. reveal of that. Um, but then I also loved um, even bridging things like the Lando comic series kind of tangentially mentioned throughout all of this, which is like Lobot forgetting, obviously, uh, Jackson, right? He doesn't know who he is because of the events that happened in that initial comic series. Um, and then you have like, I just was like, I just want to know what Lando's office looks like at this point because um, it seemed very nice. Um, but yeah, a little little green guy with a heart of gold. What what's not to like? Why why can't I right. why can't I give this uh, all all the stars in the world? Yeah, he's a bit eccentric, for sure. Yes, that's a he, that's he's quite the guy. Yeah, and I, I feel bad for him because he's like, who takes a lepi seriously? We all look like giant rabbits. He's like right. looking like <laughs> a, a shoal of walking squids. Never did the Mon Calamari any harm. Like whoa, Jackson, hold your horses there. Disrespecting our boys in the in the ocean, but. Sarah, what did you think of, of this story in Jackson? I, I feel like this is some of your first interactions or encounters with Jackson, if I'm correct. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know about Jackson because of Kevin Scott's um, tweeting about Jackson. <laughs> it has put him on my radar, and I most respectfully cannot say that I am a Jackson fan. Um, <laughs> I... It doesn't totally work for me, the idea of the giant rabbit, and I get that it's been <laughs> in the Star War kind of forever, but it just doesn't jive with me. But I do also agree with you, Brandon, that these first few pages are especially hilarious, especially when he's like walking down the, the uh, hallway and he's like, wow, she just looked at me and walked right past the most eligible bachelor like around or like in Clown <laughs> City. And I thought that was hilarious but yeah at the same time i can't say that i am jackson's biggest fan so this was not the story that made me jump up and down for joy sorry kevin scott wow we just <laughs> lost kevin scott as a I listener now thanks yeah, kevin scott just dropped out it's okay <laughs> kevin scott's great and i appreciate his um his like promotion and like his heart for jackson I'm just not yet on the Jackson train. Yeah, and it was written well. Like, there's nothing wrong with the writing. It's just the character is a little outrageous in some ways, and that's not even that's going back farther, you know. And uh, he is <laughs> he is uh, he's a bit funny. I do love though in this part of the story the Trogloffs, who we haven't seen since Kento Bite. They appeared. Uh, one of them was a uh, the the card dealer at one of the the poker tables. So I like the whole idea of him kind of taking them and, and foregoing the larger quarry of the Ignats and taking the um, taking the Trogloffs instead and protecting them and bringing them on a journey. And he's like, you know, sometimes smuggling is a little bit of a good job depending on the cargo you hold, you know? So I thought that was a pretty good ending to the story is all the shenanigans he's been up to and that Lando <laughs> suspected him of. So it was a nice heel turn. Or, uh, it was actually a face turn or uh, I think you would call it <laughs> in wrestling terms. The opposite of a heel turn. <laughs> opposite uh, of a heel a hair turn. Tur a hair turn. A hair Ooh. turn. Oh. Got him. I, I will say down. that I also appreciated the the storyline with the Trogloffs and how they got out of that really sticky situation by putting them all like in the suitcase at the, or the briefcase. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and the audiobook really goes all out on the Jackson Rabbit voice. And oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it's a bold choice, and they went for it. And I have nothing but respect. But that might be part of the reason why I'm like, ooh, this story, I'm, I like can't get into it. I can't do it. Well, now I'm going <laughs> to listen to this audiobook. You sold the audiobook to me. Do you know who narrates it? 
It's Sean Kennan Elias Reyes who does the that one. He also does the the Dragon Snake Saves R2. So shout out. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> See, what a champion. What a champion. He rocks. Honestly, he does he does a really fantastic <laughs> job throughout this. He does a lot. He t- he takes on I'm a lot of different to, I'm voices. Here, I'm here just to convince y'all to be Jackson fans. So, yeah. you know, I'll, you're doing I'll a great job, honestly. Episode. Yeah, I really am evangelizing on behalf of Kevin. So it's good. <laughs> well, I will say, though, uh, this is Kevin's last bit of writing before the High Republic in just a couple of months. So I'm very excited for him to both write a comic book and do a, uh, a young, no- young adult novel, I believe, in uh, later or adult novel, actually, for Delray in the summer of next year. So that's that's amazing and exciting so uh, speaking of outrageous things in space you would think rabbits would be where we draw the line but what about darth vader eating who would have thought we would be honored if you would join us I had no choice. They arrived right before you did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. But What Does He Eat? by S.A. Chakraborty. This follows the story of Chef Toro's Basil. So, a pretty interesting concept to explore. You know, does Darth Vader eat food? Does he maybe slip a straw right through his, uh, th- through his like, mask hole thing? And, you know, get some protein shakes down or what, what's he doing under the mask? But Sarah, take us away with this with this story uh, as a as a chef yourself. Yeah. As a chef of pasta myself. Yeah. It takes some um, effort. Let me tell you. The Annie's cheddar and shells, mac and cheese. Um, I'm no, yeah. I'm no chef. I but, see you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the validation. I thought that this story was really interesting. and. I really appreciated uh, S.A. Chakraborty um, asking this question and, and answering this question, because when we get to the scene in the movie, right, I believe there's, like, stuff on the table, and, like, it's the world's longest table, and you're like, well, what are we actually here to do? Um, the answer is not to eat a dinner, but, um, or eat a lunch. But some of the things that I really enjoyed about uh, this story where the chef herself um toro spazzle spazzle yeah um and she's from she's deveronian um she has made her apartment to remind her of the, the deveron jungles um and i love that and they talk about their their contract she's like i work with my full team and Atlanta's like not today <laughs> um i thought it was yeah. pretty funny there's a great comment in the story about how everybody likes dumplings to which i said correct they are delicious and versatile and you can do so many things with dumplings um but uh there is a really interesting kind of like underlying current of like she could make the choice to poison vader and poison the stormtroopers because you know she comes from a family of of people in the like the pharmaceutical industry and and that's what gerstlisk um in the story suggests it's like well we can we can do something like we did with the other guys except on purpose and that would have perhaps changed the whole outcome of this the story in the movie um and i thought that um it's really interesting to see that idea being toyed with especially like 
in a setting where they can see what's going on in the the dining hall room um through that like one-way mirror and um i just really appreciated how the story was constructed and um the the kind of silly question it asked in a very mm-hmm. interesting manner brandon can darth vader be poisoned or is he too smart for that i don't know i because i was more worried like i mean i obviously knew what was gonna happen in the movie but like i was like what if like han <laughs> ate something you know what i mean like if they all sat down and the people that could actually eat without having to use a straw could like eat you would poison everyone <laughs> that's what i was worried about uh yeah. I, I mean this story was fun the things that stuck out to me i love uh i don't know Div- Devorian, Devari, I don't know, whatever, but it's the devil character from A New Hope, right? That's the species. Yeah. So I loved the little touches where it was like, oh, it was too hot, um, but sh- she had like flame retardant uh, hands, you know, like she was a devil. You know, I thought that was like a funny yeah, yeah. touch to things that made her a good cook, you know? Um, but yeah, it was fun. I, I, I guess my question is, because I, I read it a couple times, did they answer the question? What does he eat? They didn't, right? Like, it was more just like, we're making a meringue. We don't yeah. know yeah. what actually. Yeah, we're making the dumplings. We're making the meringue. We're going to attempt to make something that looks nice, but we have really have no idea if he even eats it all, <laughs> which yeah. I think is funny because it kind of skirts <laughs> around the question, all the while being really asking, like, asking the serious parts of that question. Like, but really, though, what? what does how 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 does he get those nutrients like you know <laughs> yeah darth vader's got to be starved <laughs> i mean the guy's got to eat at yeah, some what point what is he eating you know what's he doing this does is he actually he has a mouth you guys we can do a whole episode on this um where we deep dive into um the helmet anatomy of like the the build of the helmet and you know, how frequently he's taking it on and off and, like, when he's able to, like, eat like a normal person as to maybe when he has to have a modified diet. Anyway, I'm saying this is a whole other hour and a half episode that I, we should totally sit down. So you're saying not it. to talk about it. You're saying not to, not to deal with this right now. Yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't want to spoil the future episode that will be genius work. I feel like Darth Vader is gluten-free. <laughs> it hurts his tummy. Oh, boy. Well, you know... On that note, I guess we'll never actually know if Darth Vader eats, but it's definitely a question for the ages, and I'm glad it was addressed slash not addressed, uh, or not answered, I should say. But yeah, this was a fun story and just another example of just uh, making a little bit of fun out of out of a serious, serious moment in, in The Empire Strikes Back. So... Attention. This is Lando Carissian. Attention. The Empire's taking control of the city. I advise everyone to leave before more Imperial troops arrive. This way. Don't blame me. I'm an interpreter. I'm not supposed to know a car socket from a computer terminal. Our next story is Beyond the Clouds by Lilian Rivera. This story follows the character of Isabella, and uh, it's a great story about... There's a workers' revolt that happens, which I I found really interesting because I mean Cloud City, you don't really get to see much of the social dynamics of of the of the citizens, but they're rising up against you know capitalism and Lando kind of controlling everything for Tabana Gas and having to kind of work your way up from the bottom to the to the top. And and uh, Isabella thinks that being a bounty hunter is the easy way out that she can just join Boba Fett. You know she's kind of she's kind of uh entranced by him throughout the entire story and really wants to meet up with him and 
live a life of bouncy hunting, but everybody's like, get out of your delusions. That's not going to happen. You know, he's on to the next job, one job after another, and he's not going to care if you're with him or not, you know, join a real movement. And it was a pretty inspiring tale on kind of rising up and being a part of something larger than yourself. I think appropriately, it comes in a year when there have been many social movements in our own world. So, uh, and I, you know, I've talked with Lilium recently and there's an interview with her coming up soon, but she kind of had much of the same to say in terms of this just being a, a story of really just making a choice to be active and for to, to, to stand up against, you know, oppressive, oppressive regimes, especially the ones that occupy Cloud City. But Sarah, what did you think of, of this story? This was a story that I found to be really interesting. I probably wouldn't say it's one of my top favorites of the anthology, but I thought it presented a lot of great ideas and just a really um, lovely story about Isabelia because she has all of these um, dreams of being a bounty hunter, but she's not quite there yet. And she works in the, the, the Cloud City kind of gas, the Tabana gas mines. And she idolizes Boba Fett and has the opportunity to meet him, but she kind of skips on that opportunity. And then she kind of has this thing for joy. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate yet another um, LGBTQ plus um, Oh, I hesitate to say romance because it's not quite a romance, but LGBTQ plus inclusion in this anthology and in Star Wars in general. Um, and like Joy brings her on this whole different path of like getting together with this workers revolt and um, learning about this other side of um, her her work in the Tabana gas mines that she hadn't considered because she was so focused on being a bounty hunter. And so I appreciated kind of both of those aspects mm-hmm. coming together in this story. Brennan, did you did you have anything else to add for for Isabella's story? No, I mean it. This one didn't work as well for me as some of the other stories did. But I agree with what you said, Sarah. I think the the turn of her first focusing on Boba Fett and being a bounty hunter and being kind of uh, a fan uh, without really dealing with consequences or dealing with like any further ideas, and then that turn of her like finding something worth fighting for and finding something that's worth her passion and her time. I think is a really compelling story to tell for a character that we had never met before um because i was worried initially when it was pitched i think it was pitched when they were first announcing everything i was like this is like boba fett's biggest fan or something i was like oh like that's not the best thing i've ever heard but the progression of her character really did serve the story so and it really went from kind of something that is very selfish you know i think bounty hunting is a very solitary um yeah isolated kind of selfish pursuit um in some ways uh and then turning into this community and really focusing on her own community and the change that she can make there instead of, you know, yeah. him bounties for the fame and the glory or whatever. And so I, I appreciated um, the change in, in focus there. Yeah, she was kind of opportunistic initially, but realizes that's not always the, the best sort of future to, to have. Absolutely. So our next story is No Time for Poetry by Austin Walker. So this follows Dengar in uh, IG-88, or as Dengar refers to him, Iggy, uh, which I, I found highly entertaining. But this was a, such a, this was a, a funny story because you kind of have the, the sass of the IG robots, which we obviously know much of from The Mandalorian and just how silly and uh, sarcastic IG-11 is, but now placing it in uh, IG-88's tone and uh, 
his kind of wildfire sentience as it's referred to you know like don't mess with ig droids because they are they are pretty brutal and uh dengar is just totally irrational he's really dangerously optimistic he's just kind of all of the traits that you don't want to have when you're trying to negotiate very delicately he's very just hot-headed and i think that's why it's kind of a funny story because the ig droids definitely look down on organics and dengar kind of thinks of himself very highly very astutely and uh they follow the fake millennium falcon you know thrown off the trail from from boba fett on purpose so i I think i think there's a lot of fun but brandon were you happy to see more from ig88 because we really don't see him talk (laughs) at all in empire strikes back i'm pretty sure he's asleep on the star destroyer (laughs) well and he is i mean this is behind the scenes stuff because i i interviewed the guy that sculpted him and it was literally just like a stand it was just a a motionless sculpture that they put on the bridge and had one guy just like turn the head a little bit and that's it. So that's what we get. But what I love about this story, even if, again, this is not like if you were like, Hey, what's your top five stories in the book? Whatever. It's not. But what I love is the melding of empire with Mandalorian and you get little things like I, I read this in Taika's voice. Right. Um, and then I also yeah. loved the inclusion of Beskar and that whole part of the mythology, because that really was never explored, obviously, with Boba in the past. And so I love kind of now creating new narratives based on what we're getting with the Mandalorian and tying it in closely with the original trilogy. So those are my key takeaways mm-hmm. from the story. Sarah, I know you're not a big bounty hunter gal, but did you uh, pull anything from this? Yeah, I wrote, this one's kind of fun <laughs> on the back of my <laughs> Um Because I think what made it uh, enjoyable to read, even if these characters aren't, um, types of characters that I'm particularly interested in is the fact that it was a banter between opposites and they clearly have different um, different outlooks on what their relationship is and different outlooks on um, the terms of their arrangement in general and while their goal is the same they have different ways of going about it and it's pretty funny to see them clash especially with somebody as um, like a droid as um, I don't want to say uptight but also just like as rigid um as ig88 as opposed to dengar so it was pretty funny to especially listen to this one and listen to their back and forth um in this time of like you know we're on the trail and then we are not on the trail um so <laughs> yeah this one was was fun for me like legitimately and i i don't mean to say that in a jj drums it's pretty fun um you know kind of <laughs> don't <laughs> i say that phrase a lot and like sometimes i worry <laughs> It's traumatizing, truly. But yeah, I like that we got the perspective of every one of those bounty hunters on the Star Destroyer. I was I was pleasantly surprised with that. And uh, combining Dengar and IG together was uh, a, a surprising way of doing that, I think. What happened? So our next story is Bestman Escape by Martha Wells. So this is an underground look at the Ugnaught communities, the different clans, the different uh, like city councils that they're having, city council meetings uh, between Ugnaughts. It's kind of insane to me. And there's different, uh, uh, you know, we, we follow Lanast, who is one of the, the main Ugnaught in the story. Then there's Yaxgit, who is a member of the wealthiest Ugnaught clan in the city. And Yaxnot's kind of a kind of an asshole, to be honest with you. He's he's trying to like thwart everybody's plan to escape, kind of like a uh, 
you know, there's like a fire happening and, and he's like, no, there's no fire happening. You know, he's kind of like the this is fine meme, but in Ugnot form. So I love this whole kind of uh, navigate the 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 underground tunnels and all the different air vents to kind of navigate through Cloud City, find out when and where they can leave and motivate everybody to to get together and get the heck out of Dodge because shit's about to hit the fan in Cloud City and the Ugnots don't want to be slaves. Because I just kept thinking of Kuwil, how he talked about being in servitude for so long and having uh, to work his way out and how hard that was. So, you know, you kind of knew what could come of the Empire's occupation, given that context. And you were really rooting for them throughout the story. Sarah, what did you think of the Ugnot clans? I thought that this story was enjoyable and that... uh... The clans were probably the most interesting piece of this because it seemed like they were really, um, I don't know too much about the Ugnots and Ugnot lore throughout Star Wars canon. I'm not, I'm not necessarily a details person, but um, I did appreciate uh, getting to know more about the clans in which these units, these kind of like family units all um, came together and how the reason why they didn't get one of the, like, didn't get the information that like shit's hitting the fan is because like the one uncle kind of had like i believe it he had some imperial sympathies and so they just like didn't tell the entire clan about it and it took them a while to get going um and i appreciated just seeing this different side of um cloud city investment in general so those are my main takeaways from it it wasn't one of my favorites of the anthology but it certainly wasn't a bad read at all Brandon, I know you love your, you know, behind the scenes. Huh. You just, uh, you just interviewed Missy Rosas, who right. plays Kuil on The Mandalorian. You're, a, you're an Ugnot fan. You've, um, uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on Ugnots. I feel like you have a, <laughs> you have some stuff to bring to the table. Well, here's the thing, which is, yes, I love Ugnots. I love them <laughs> more than I love maybe a lot of my friends. And so when this story was pitched as <laughs> this is going to be about the Ugnot city in Bespin and like the secret underground Ugnot stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is about to be the best story I've ever read. And so maybe my expectations were too high going into it with that thinking because mm-hmm. it really didn't hit for me, which sucks because I really wanted to like love Ugnots even more than I already do. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's my key takeaway. Like it was fine. Um, was it like the sweeping Ugnot drama that I was hoping for? No. Will we get that eventually? <laughs> Maybe, you know, like it could happen. So um, I really hope that for you. It. Yeah, thank I hope you, you they get need someone that to write it. sweeping epic of your dreams. Like you deserve you. that. Like a gone, gone with the wind, um, Ugnot with the wind. I don't know. I can figure out a title, but um, that's what <laughs> I would like. I would like something. Something. The, like um, there was that book series, Tales from Moss Eisley Cantina. Maybe they could yeah. do like Tales from Ugnot City. <laughs> like, I would love that. Six series written book. by Brandon. That'd Minardi. be great. With 900 yeah. pages, not, it's just an epic. And people are like, why did they, why did, why is this happening? Why did they do this? Yeah. They've because sold 25 copies and they printed a thousand. <laughs> I don't know what's going <laughs> A thousand would be a lot. That'd be cool, man. My mom would buy probably five of them, right? So we could get to, there you some go. of that run. Um, Listen, throw it on HBO. I mean, we've seen what Game of Thrones can do. Why not Ugnots? You know, why not why now? Why not Ugnots? Why not now? I love this. Okay, so we're all on board. <laughs> Um, we see the potential yeah. and, and we'll just move forward from there. Sounds good. Yeah. As, 
that was actually the uh, alleged project that uh, D&D were involved with uh, before they left. They were mm. doing an Ugnaught trilogy, so... Um, yeah, and I was hoping Project Luminous right would have been... Project Luminous was Ugnaught's initially, and then I think they switched to High Republic early on in the story conference. Um, but my sources yeah. tell me that it was an Ugnaught-focused epic. So, you know. We'll next see. time. Next time. Yeah, yeah. There's always... Yeah, there's always next <laughs> year, so who knows? <laughs> Why did we just go into light speed? How would you know the hyperdrive is deactivated? The city's central computer told you. R2D2, you know better than to trust a strange computer. Ouch! Pay attention to what you're doing! So, Faith in an Old Friend by Brittany Williams. Oh, this one was a doozy on the heart. Yeah. Brandon, you're going to you're going to kick us off with this one. This, this story, because what they did, I we we were all lucky to get an advanced copy from Del Rey for this. And so they released a, an excerpt of this story, I think, on StarWars.com, maybe a couple weeks before it came out. But I had just gotten it and I was kind of reading through. I was probably four chapters in, five chapters in. And I just immediately skipped <laughs> to this story after reading the excerpt. I was like, well, we're going to figure this this out. And um, it is, like, of all the stories, it might be my favorite, but it is the one that, like, I felt was the most needed or the most earned, but also the most well-written and the most well-tied into all of Star Wars. And I just, I loved it so much. I don't know, I mean, like, hopefully you can tell how much I loved it because all of it was so good and it made it all so purposeful. And, you know, you leave Solo kind of feeling bad for L3. And even during this, you still feel bad for L3 losing part of her independence and part of her, her personality, but being able to see how much she was able to influence the rest of the, the Millennium Falcon, I think is so, so cool. and such like a great tie into everything that we've been doing with Disney star Wars, that this story really just worked for me on all levels. Yeah. I think when you say it was the most well-earned of any of the stories, I absolutely agree because it's pretty amazing to see too, how rooted this was in the actual plot of the film when it comes to the idea of the hyperdrive being disabled and them trying to escape cloud city and L3 kind of helping them out the whole gang of the millennium collective, which are the three droids <laughs> that make up the, the consciousness of the Falcon. And that includes L3 ED4, who is a corporate espionage slicer droid and V5 T who used to be a transport droid and only thinks in all caps and only says the word rude. And I just loved it. I loved how their personalities bounced off each other. They seemed like such great friends for such a long time. And something that really stuck out to me was even in her quote unquote death, L3 is still liberating droids, you know, because initially yeah. they didn't any, have any sort of sentient sense of self. And they now like over time develop their own personalities. They develop their own names and L3 cherishes cherishes each of them as individuals, but individuals that make up a whole of what they've become together. And I think it was just this really kind of like close-knit friendship uh, between the three of them. And I loved how they were rooting on Treadwell, which justice for Treadwell. I'm glad we finally figured out <laughs> that little tiny small droid that was sitting in Hoth with Han Solo. And he goes, wait a minute, you know? So it was just all around so much fun. She did such a great job and it was really well written. Sarah, what did you think of, of L3? And I think you come at it from a unique perspective because I know you didn't like Solo a whole lot, but did this somehow maybe heighten your appreciation for at least the character of L3 and maybe might change the way you watch Solo in the, in the future? Yeah, so I talked about this a little bit in part one when Amy mentioned that this was one of her favorite stories. 
And I just think this story is excellent. And I want to send a huge compliment over to Brittany Williams, who this is this is her fiction debut. Um, she has an upcoming um, I think it's YA kind of fantasy, fantasy historical, um, that has yet to come out. But this is her fiction debut. And this makes me so excited for her her full-length novel. So I can't wait to read that once it comes out. So shout out. Um, this, this story is awesome. And I listened to it on audio. And I just want to shout out the three narrators, um, Jeremy Lavoie, <laughs> Sunila Nankani, and Emily Wu Zeller, who, and if you don't get that, like, all of the droids in the Millennium Falcon are lady droids or, or um, you know, droids with, like, feminine-sounding voices. And um, I love that. But this story was wonderfully brought to life on the audio through these three narrators so i have them to thank as well for my enjoyment in this um i think when i watch solo i always feel a little icky to be honest with you about the way that l3's story kind of ended up because she was so for liberation she was so for freedom and paving her own path and being her own person and ultimately, like, she's confined to this ship without her body. And that, that like, felt really, still feels kind of ick. But um, this story really, I mean, Brandon, you said it in the feeling the most earned and the most necessary. This story really did a lot for me. And I really appreciated the ways in which L3 um, changed the two other droids. Um, in this this brain she called them the collective she wanted to make sure that they had their individuality um she taught them new words and new concepts and that's why the one goes rude all the time because she taught <laughs> them the meaning of the idea of you know rude um and it's and it's great they are they all come together um at one point you like 3PO is talking to them you know at one point R2 is talking to them and they talk about how much they kind of appreciate those interactions or find, you know, some interesting and some less interesting. And then when Lando came on and gave the salute and clearly was reminiscing oh. about um, L3 <laughs> in that moment, I felt that that added such depth. And also the moment where L3 showed the map of Kessel to Lando. Oh. And I was like, oh, no, this hurts. Oh, um, so hurtful. So I, I just I just have like nothing but good things to say about it because I really think it did a wonderful job of um, not, not forgetting what happened to L3 and really uh, still allowing her to maintain her individuality and um her her voice so this story was was great great 10 out of 10 britney williams thank you 10 out of 10 i agree the story does a good job too of balancing l3 being mad at lando but also cherishing him still much of the same way as before and like one thing that stood out to me was l3 saying he wanted she wanted to shout at him ask him why he'd risk the falcon after he'd uploaded her consciousness to the ship's computer Ask him why she had mattered so little when she had given so much to save them, to save him. And it's actually really interesting at that point, the droids, the other droids don't say anything else. They kind of give her a moment of quiet because they can sense that she's battling some shit internally and need, like she needs a moment. But then Lando says, never gamble with something you can't bear to lose. So I think he really feels a lot of regret and probably in his young kind of 
naivety and just being totally full of himself and thinking he could cheat his way in a card game uh lost the falcon and uh i think he regrets that quite a bit but even by the end of the story she realizes you know no matter how much of a self-serving scoundrel he is he always does the right thing in the end and and that the thing that leia feels for him is not love but hope and that also gives l3 some hope that you know maybe she can look past this in the future maybe she can forgive him because they're going to be flying together for quite a bit here you know and later in the rise of skywalker we know uh, there was a scene with lando on the falcon and it got deleted and it would have been a really great scene so this is almost this whole story kind of felt like a making up for that that moment we didn't necessarily get on screen but i i, I love every second of it So our next story is Do on Bat 2. It's a great rhyme. And it's written by Rob Hart. Now this is probably the long-awaited, one of the long-awaited chapters that fans have been just clawing at for so long. And Wilro Hood. Finally, what was he carrying in that Camtono? We don't know. We still don't know. <laughs> but it's broken. <laughs> so yeah, Brandon, what did you think of, of Wilro Hood? Yeah, I thought, I mean, when they announced that they were doing Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view, this was like the first thing that people said. You know, they're like, oh, we're getting a Wilro Will Hood story. And it was fine. It was good. You know, it was a little yeah. Pulp Fiction-y with like not knowing what's in the Camtona, which I thought was fun. Um, it was fine. Like, I, I don't know. Like, uh, what else is there to say? I liked fleshing his character out a little bit more um i liked i think there was a mention of ice cream at some point in there like kind of winking at yeah. potentially it being ice cream which i thought was fun um but yeah i think there's a lot uh of stories that spoke to me more um especially in the section one thing that i will say and I, I can open this up to a larger conversation which is i think the a weakness is a, a wrong word but i think what got me down during this last part of the whole book was that every story set on Bespin seemed to be about escaping. And there's only so many stories you can really do over and over again to make you feel like a heightened sense of need for escapism. Um, and so mm -hmm. after a while, like even this, like you're getting to a point halfway through what we're talking about, the Bespin section of the book, where everyone is trying to escape the Empire. And after a while, and you're getting introduced to so many new characters that it's kind of tough for me to almost follow. but but care in the same kind of um, landscape. But I don't know how y'all feel about that. That's actually really valid criticism. Sarah, you had some other thoughts too? Well, yeah. I mean, Brad, you and I discussed this a little bit off air earlier today when we were t you were saying, well, I feel like this third part kind of ends a little bit smaller than some of the other parts do in the sense that we're kind of getting a bunch of these stories that are about these new characters that maybe feel a little bit um a little bit i don't want to say like convoluted but because they're often new characters now this one isn't we know of will Rohood. we we can see him running in the background with the cantono um but some of these new characters it's tough to get all the pieces of the story that they're talking about because maybe it's something we aren't able to visualize fully um and yeah there's only so many stories about escaping uh, that you can, you know, take in one in one run. Um, 
So I definitely understand that. I think for this story, um, I appreciated and also was like, ah, on the connections to like Batu and the theme park. Um, I think uh-huh. it's 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 like difficult for me to disassociate Batu from the theme park, and I feel like everybody <laughs> references Batu um, these these days, and um, like it was in. Like it was in what the Thrawn book this year. It's in yeah. this. It's in like everybody's been to Batu, even though Batu is like this like edge of the unknown regions kind of place that nobody really goes to. And so I'm just like, ah, you know, why are we doing this? But you know, there was a Canto Bite mentioned. I appreciated that connection to TLJ and Canto Bite. Um, but I was sad at the end that he kind of kind of failed his mission he broke whatever was inside of it um and he's like on the run now and that was not what i expected for will Rohood. i feel a little <laughs> sad for him um and i wonder if he'll ever get to bed too but like i i just found the story to be kind of interesting but again not one of my super favorites because i don't think it was quite what i was expecting for will yeah, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but I, I kind of agree it didn't necessarily hit super well for me, although I did think some of the concepts of Wilro being exhausted and, like, quote, killing himself to make someone else rich. You know, when we, th- we talk about all these stories being about escaping Bespin and it can become repetitive, I tried to focus on the through line of the social dynamics of Cloud City and, like, how there's, like, this very divided sense of like these are the people who live lavishly and these are the people who work and make the city run and that's a really important concept to explore you know lando's having these nice lavish dinners leia's getting these nice outfits she's getting pampered when she gets there she's royalty and like the ugnots are walking around in these like greasy outfits these dark greasy outfits and they look like they've just been working their butts off and even the one ugnots who are in the room that find three people's body which we didn't mention I believe that clan of Ognats was trying to collect as much garbage as they could to earn their credits to get off the planet. So a lot of people are working their butts off to make a living. And for Wilro, this is kind of his like last gig that he can he can do and, and safely get off Cloud City and not have to continue working for quote unquote the man. Again, you know, is it, it was a pretty good story, average, but uh I'm glad we got some more information on Wilro. It's been long overdue. <laughs> Into the Clouds by Karen Strong is our next story. So I also interviewed Karen. So if you want to listen to that interview, it's in our podcast feed at this moment. I actually really enjoyed the story because it takes us into Jalen's series life. She is the daughter of a of a Tabanagas mogul. And her whole life, she's kind of lived in wealth and not really felt like that's for her. She kind of wants to go on this other adventure. She yearns to be somebody else. She wants to pretend to be a, a rebel princess. But there's this one guy, this scoundrel named Dresh, who is kind of her her dark side in a way, you know, the guy that kind of wants her to take a risk and to go outside of her comfort zone and really doesn't think of her as in the bad ways that she thinks he does. 
but he sees her for who she really is and who she really is is somebody that's full of surprises she'll pick up a blaster and shoot a stormtrooper which what a critical point in the story that was just so much fun for her to pick up a blaster and just be like yeah i did that you know but i just another instance again of of somebody making a choice to take a stance fight for a side and that's a pretty common theme that we're seeing in this portion of the book. Sarah, you have some thoughts on, on Jalen's series story. Yeah, I really enjoyed this story quite a lot, actually. Um, I wrote at the end, I wrote, cute and romantic. Like, I loved it. Um, what I loved about it is, like, Jalen, she really comes from this background of, like, rich, lavish living, and she's able to purchase this cloak that is, you know, worn by the princess and is been, you know delicately made and if you know you know any of the leia cosplayers it takes them months yeah months and months to embroider uh this cloak um uh shout out to a couple of my friends who are doing that now god bless your good souls um so it's really uh interesting to to hear about it and to hear that maybe this wasn't quite a one-of-a-kind piece or anything like that but she was able to indulge in this piece of the or this part of the um uh like cloud city culture because she was wealthy and came from this family of wealth. I love Dresh. Uh, I feel like he's a really interesting character. Like she's kind of annoyed by him, but he's like, actually, I know you quite well and <laughs> we get along, but you're just like annoyed by boys. Um, and you know, they have this moment that, like where they almost kiss and then everything goes a little haywire, but I, you know, she gets the opportunity to make a good choice and pick a, the right alliance and the right path for herself in in order to stay safe and um like I want more of Jylin and I also want more of Karen Strong's writing because I just I just found the story to be delightful especially in a story in in a series of stories um throughout this whole anthology many of them especially in the Hoth section are quite dark and like very grim war stories when you start really thinking about it and then in this section where they're all trying to escape and it's kind of uh, dire situations for them this is a little bit more lighthearted, and i did sincerely appreciate that brandon is this one of leia's most iconic outfits would you say the the best bin cloud city outfit that that jalen wears throughout the story i love it uh the best because i mean it's it's tough to like talk just about leia's outfits but like the whole bespin area of empire is so like iconic and i feel like it does not get that much like do right it's very easy to go to uh, a new hope and be like oh here's the white dress and it's easy to go to jedi and be like here's the endor garment but when you think about like bespin and like but also i always went to like oh like they like dressed her that was odd you know like there's a, a period where they land and lando meets her and then the next time you see her is in the apartment and she's dressed in bespin garb and that was always a very interesting thing and this answered this in a roundabout way um but yeah i i, I love I mean, every Leia outfit is, is the best, but this one is especially uh, one of my favorites. This was very much a self-insert, too, for the reader. It was uh, every reader who's ever dressed up as, as Princess Leia and wanted to be a rebel princess. And I think that was kind of some of the fun of, of the character of Jalen was like, she's just kind of like all of us, right? Who dressed up as kids and played Star Wars in our basements or outside in the yard. And I think that's why I particularly connected with the story. It was just, you know, being a kid and, and pretending to be in this universe. And for her, she's actually living it out. And that's, that's pretty exciting. I, you know, I think that it's really cool. You never really think about um, the costumes. I don't want to say being mass produced because clearly it's like a, 
like a fancy person who is making these clothes um, in the small batches and different colors and things. But um, I did appreciate the idea that like this is somebody that anybody who has access to it could wear and also that um, somebody would. And so like this is never a story I expected to see because we've gotten a little bit of talk of like um, Leia in the comic series reminiscing over like Padme's old gowns but we never like think about if those dresses if those costumes if those even types of clothes get any sort of like reuse um so as somebody who really gravitates towards the costumes and is friends with a lot of cosplayers and things this is I think it's just a very interesting concept for this book and I appreciated that she kind of just went with it and and wrote this awesome story It is useless to resist. Don't let yourself be destroyed as Obi-Wan did. So our next story is The Witness by Adam Christopher. Brandon, why don't you kick us off with Dina Lorne, TK27342. <laughs> and uh, she sees some shit go down this, this time around. She does. She's seen a lot of shit go down, actually, but she's, she's, en- <laughs> she's had enough. And I mean, again, we, we've gotten these stories of stormtroopers turning good or whatever, right? Finn is, is the obvious example, but it's been a trope throughout Star Wars forever. And so it was nice seeing it in the original trilogy and seeing it with this kind of viewpoint. Um, the only uh, weakness I have with this story, because I love Adam Christopher, I think he's a great author, is, and it happens every so often in these books, is like a, almost a reverence towards the lines that are being said in the actual movie. Right. And the, the the last like four pages of this book are pretty much just like the script of of Empire. And I'm like, I've seen this movie. I don't need to hear this again. Like it's okay. Like you can tell me a new story. Cause I thought the character was interesting enough on its own. And I thought all of that is is worth it being held up. Um, especially as again, we're talking about escaping, we're talking about the aftermath of the Empire taking over. Um, so yeah, uh, this again, the story uh, didn't hit for me on all levels. I thought the characterization was good. I thought the redemption arc was good. And, you know, if this character popped up in a short story, you know, 10 years after the Empire, um, I'd be interested to, to hear more about it. But um, that's kind of my key key takeaways from the story, at least. Yeah, I think you're right. The characterization of Dina was kind of what drew me in. And when I think about the witness, you know, what is being witnessed? I think the obvious answer is, you know, I am your father's moment. But for me, I think the witness could also be the witness of Alderaan blowing up and the witness of all the other atrocities that Dina Lorne has had to be witness to. And it's kind of like that terrible job where you just keep seeing and doing terrible things and you're just like, I've had enough. I want to quit. And you do. And for her, she just wants to quit the Empire. You know, Uh, she realizes that the rebels sound like they're fighting law and order, but also maybe they're also fighting cruelty and tyranny. Like, what is the opposite of order? Chaos? Or is it freedom? And I thought that was a kind of perplexing question to put out there. And 
I thought one other quote that stuck with me, stuck with me is their survival rate for stormtroopers in battle often wasn't great. The survival rate on the outside was sometimes even worse. So that was pretty alarming. It kind of hinted at some really bad mental health problems that stormtroopers can face, uh, even on the outskirts, and that you know they're not always conditioned for these sorts of things. And for Dina, that's definitely the case. She's not. Uh, she's not willing to see anymore. Sarah, what did you think of the the witness? So I think I definitely like this story a bit more than both of y'all did. And what I I also really enjoyed the characterization of Dina and her recognizing the difference um, in or or just being shown the difference in the fanaticism over Vader versus like I'm here because I have to be there because I've been conscripted or you know people who. Um, chose to go through the academy like that's discussed in one of the earlier stories and so i definitely thought she was really interesting and to be honest i really heckin enjoyed the crawling through the yeah. events um and witnessing all the battles and then her not knowing what was said um but she's like something something just happened here but i don't he's yelling no but like i literally don't know what he said because the wind is that part was funny like, when he was, yelled it no it's it it always like, funny yeah that was great but like, you know, I, a lot of these, so we get a lot, bunch of new characters in these anthologies. We get a bunch of characters that we see for just a moment um, or literally like a fleeting glimpse of these characters. And what I appreciated about this one is, you know, she's not a main character, but she's um, for, I'm going to overuse the title. She's witnessing all these events um, and she's just like. Uh, she's on the sidelines like we are as um, movie viewers. We're sitting on the sidelines of these events that we're watching unfold on our screen. And so I just thought that this perspective and this kind of story was a bit different than anything we got um, in the rest of this anthology. And for that, I just appreciated it. I thought it was a fun story. Um, you know, she ultimately chooses a different path and defects and, you know, watch, watches all this happen. And, you know, like she's made this choice and I th- I think it's really interesting and I agree that I'd be really interested to see a story from her 10 years down the line where she is or what she's doing and and how she feels about her time. Um and also, if she's heard any legends about what happened because I think um part of the really interesting thing that we get in a story like Heroes of the Rebellion is that legends about Han and Luke and Leia have already started forming. And uh that their stories are crossing the galaxy. So I'd be really curious to know just like a really small random thing and be really curious to know if she's heard stories about what she saw and if she could um dispute some of that well adam christopher is writing the new adult mandalorian novel which comes out from delray it got delayed till next october so i will say i'm super excited uh, for that it's going to be original story so uh adam christopher i cannot wait it's uh it's going to be exciting do you think dina shows up she better like I want it. Well, I mean, I, maybe, I mean, not... here's the thing. Like, that's a possibility, right? If he's dealing more with rebellion, if he's dealing more with the aftermath of the empire, I could see him doing this story to plant a seed. Where maybe she's not a main character or even a secondary character, but someone that he interacts with that you're able to kind of go back and be like, "Oh, two years ago, you wrote this story." Honestly, it's a big brain move that would single-handedly get me to like be completely on board with that novel. Um, not that I'm like. Have, I don't have any problem with Adam Christopher's work. I'm just not really a big Mandalorian fan. But if this character showed up, um, I would probably jump out of my seat and be quite excited because, <laughs> yeah. And I would, I would read the book, you know, like because yeah. I think that would be a really interesting um, planting of the seed. Like, you know, instead we got a mention of the Great Hyperspace Disaster. I do love it when we 
get nods to projects that we either know are upcoming or don't even know are upcoming yet. So yeah, that was um that was like a big great move. So now yeah. I expect it. So if Adam Christopher doesn't yeah. do it, Brandon, I'm <laughs> blaming you. Yeah, blame yeah. me, please. Send all of your all of your complaints yeah. to talkingbay94 at gmail.com. Yes, we don't get enough. Of I don't those. actually know if that's your email. Uh, is it? I think I have that, but yes, please send it there because if I don't get it, I'll well, yes, yeah, send them there anyway. If it's another <laughs> Talking Bay ninety four, they deserve them. So it's yeah, they fine. deserve stealing my IP. It's fine. <laughs> so speaking of witnessing things, Sarah, we are witnessing the great rise of Alexander Freed. This man, oh, he is writing some good shit. Has been writing some good shit. He's written for. Alphabet Squadron, Twilight Company, the Rogue One novelization, and now he's back writing the story, The Man Who Built Cloud City. I love Alexander Freed. I'm very glad he was included in this, in this book. This story was crazy. It was, I don't even know what to think of it. It was one of those things where I was just like, I have no idea what I'm reading. It was like chapter eight of Shadowfall. Yeah. I was like, I, like although that was a really great chapter i was like i have no idea what i'm reading alexander freed is just like on a whole nother big brain plane of existence than i ever will be and as and i can never ascend to be but uh i love how it starts with the words treachery and it made me think of the lighthouse and and willem dafoe just shouting the word hark over and over and going on his you know long uh long monologue so i was getting some pretty heavy lighthouse vibes from this story but what I took away from it, kind of the overall big picture idea, is how we treat those in our society with mental health issues. Like, what do, what do we do? The king in the story definitely gets treated like a, a person and somebody that is likable and that Lando does like, even though he might not always show it. And at one point he says, you know, get this guy out of here. I, I can't take his delusions right now. It did, it did present that kind of interesting topic uh, or talking points. Sarah, what, do you, what did you think about the man who built Cloud City? Well, first of all, we have to acknowledge the Alexander Freed supremacy. Um, uh, it's true. He just is um, excellent. And if you listen to our Shadowfall uh, review, we hype him up for like two and a half hours. Um, I love the Alphabet Squadron books. Uh, this story, though, wasn't my favorite. And I, I think I just couldn't find what I was looking for out of it. I do agree that I also really loved the beginning, starting with treachery, treachery. And I love that, um, you know, he was, he was giving proclamations throughout this. But I really didn't know how to quite feel about this one. And this is a story that I really feel that I would appreciate hearing from Alexander Freed um, and knowing what his thought process was behind this story. And... Um, you know, what he was, he was working to get at, um, because I, I, if he's been on any podcast, please, please guys link me to them. Um, Let you know, call if you're listening I'll call him this, right now. I'll see what please do. Says. Yeah. Brandon. Um, <laughs> no, like if, uh, if anybody knows if he's been on any podcast super lately about this, um, I'd be super interested to listen to them because I always appreciate hearing his thoughts. Um, but I didn't know quite what I was supposed to take away from the story. And, um, I know he said that this was quite out of his realm as well. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I was unsure quite of the truth of the story, and I think that partially is the point. Um, but I did enjoy the partnership between um, him and um, Lando. Darbus. Yeah, is it Miz? Um, yep, Darbus Miz. He's one of the, the wing guards. Yeah, for and, Lando. and how they go together throughout this story. And 
There are points when um, Miz, you know, uh, listens to him and goes with them, and other points where he doesn't. And I found that to all be very interesting. So, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I have super settled thoughts about the story at this point. Yeah, Brandon, where are you at with this just kind of hectic, chaotic story yeah. that we were given? I mean, I love the idea of it. I love parts of it. I love Alexander Freed as a writer. I think my issue with a lot of these stories, again, like we were talking about earlier, since there aren't as many quote unquote background characters to tell points of view from you have to create characters right i don't think this man showed up on screen as far as i'm aware and so when you do it has to feel earned it has to feel like an important part of a story um even though this this whole book is about relatively unimportant stories um but i never was able to really like kind of get into it um and again we go back to what i was talking about earlier like needing to escape for 10 stories in a row after a while i was like okay like it was fine. The ending was nice uh, when it kind of goes to more of a um, wall-breaking kind of action. Um, but yeah, I w- I'm with you, Sarah. I would love to hear kind of his thoughts because I'm sure there's something in here that I'm not getting or something that he was drawing from that would make this even more um, more impactful. So, Yeah, I, d- I did find it interesting, too. There is a part, a part where the stormtrooper is, is uh, about to shoot him. And he has this old memory that's kind of blurred and it's about white figures aboard his ship, which I imagine is stormtroopers. He's got bloody hands. There's an empty cargo bay. Later, an empty purse, an empty house, the boy gone. So to me, it feels like this is a guy who was raided by the Empire, maybe lost his son, the boy gone. Or himself, yeah, to like some sort of conscription or just tragedy. He's got blood on his hands, clearly. And he says he found the ring, his ticket to Cloud City. He's got the golden ticket. And uh, a picture of him with a crown on his head in the books his father had read. Presents an idea of maybe this is just some guy who's seen some stuff and is repressing some memories. And in doing so, he is creating this very lavish story about himself that he is like the king. uh, The man who turned Cloud City from a gas miner's watering hole to a galactic paradise. I am the king. You know, and I think that's maybe a coping mechanism for him. I, I think this is some sort of story on a, a mental health. I, I really do. And I, I would love also to hear what, what Alex's, uh, Alexander's uh, approach to this was. Mr. So. Freed's approach. <laughs> yes. Somebody add him on Twitter and, and ask him. <laughs> I would love to know more. Come on, Friends of the Force. <laughs> we will talk about it. <laughs> hey, later, later next year, he is writing Victory's Price. So uh, we're going to be doing a lot of coverage. We are not on ready. Victory's price. We're not ready. We're not ready. Alexander, don't don't release it, please. Just let us sit in this nice, blissful moment of not knowing tragedy. Our next story is the backup backup plan by Ann Toole. And this follows Tal Viridian and Lieutenant Ela Rododin, who uh, by the end of the story, again, this is one of those stories that didn't necessarily hit for me. It was kind of just like a fun tail didn't necessarily add anything big but essentially tal and Ela Ela works for the empire and she's trying to help tal who is seems like her girlfriend get out of cloud city alive and they kind of pull some shenanigans where it seems like Ela's actually killing her in space but really blowing up some gas canisters instead and the story ends with some uh kinky phone sex i'll just say it honestly <laughs> you know like tal tells Ela to keep the boots on this time it got a little steamy there at the end, and I wasn't really sure what I was reading anymore, but I just kind of took it at, at face value. So 
I don't know what else to make of the story. Brandon, I'll kick it off to you, though, before I, I say anything more to embarrass myself. <laughs> oh, my God. Please stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I agree with you, Brad. Not about the kinky stuff, about it not hitting for me. <laughs> um, I do. I mean, here's the thing. This story is great because we never really think about what happens to Bespin and Cloud City after the heroes leave. And I think telling that brief story of, like, here's what is happening when the Empire takes control of Bespin is very important and very good, and I'm glad that I have that knowledge. I think there were so many new characters, and also this is we're very close to the end of the book, and I feel like I was getting a little bit of fatigue again with escaping and with uh, people switching sides and all. You know, like the stories that kept coming, um, that the story really just like did not hit for me a bunch of different times, and having so many new characters kind of spring up at the very end, I feel like I should revisit it at some point because uh, I think there's some really good ideas in there. Um, including kinky boots or whatever. Um, so, um, but that's my. That's I'm just my saying it like it boots, is. Kinky boots, the musical. Kinky boots, the musical. <laughs> In this, um, directed by Ryan Johnson. <laughs> Whoa, it's a good idea. Whoa, you know, another one thing that I really appreciated about this one, uh, the story again, is that it showed us both opposite sides and um, an LGBTQ plus romantic situation. Um, so we got both of those things, and who doesn't love like a star-crossed lover? Is like opposite sides kind of a deal. Yeah, I, I, lo- I live for I live for that. I really do. Um, and had some lost star vibes for sure. Lost stars. I mean, yeah, all the boss romances are star-crossed, except the sometimes that they're not. There are other romances that are also great. This is not our romance podcast, though. Um, I felt like I was also a little bit confused at this point about the players and the setting and and how this all connected. But I did enjoy the plot of. Um, Ella kind of um, I don't want to say ratting out but you know not showing up for Tal in the sense that she maintained her imperial composure I also uh, appreciated that whole plot where she goes against the Empire and ultimately like blows up a couple of the Tabanagas um, canisters but not the whole ship um, and you know that was at great personal risk to her and the her leaders saw her do it the one really it's like really annoying that she doesn't like ella doesn't like the whole time but um i really i thought that was really interesting again i do think this is a story i have to revisit i agree with brandon that at this point there's just a lot of escaping going on and trying to figure out where (laughs) and when we are and how we're going from a to b um but this is one i want to revisit and i i loved a lot of the ideas in here and so i want to get it uh i read it again with a clearer understanding of the pieces and maybe that would just means reading it a bit slower or um just a second read in general no i did find myself starting to speed read a little towards the end because i i did start to feel the the escape fatigue but i'd love to go back and, and reread some of these stories and also take more time with them to really kind of soak it all in So our second to last story is Right Hand Man by Lydia Kang, and this was a, a much needed reprieve from the Cloud City escape fatigue, I would call it. 
So this story is very much about the interaction between Luke's healing droid and Luke himself and the dramatic irony that the droid thinks Luke is hurting on the outside, but Luke is actually hurting on the inside also because he just learned that Vader's his dad. And at one point, I love how Luke just goes, father, and the droid's like, what? <laughs> He's like, nothing. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, Luke, try to be subtle. But this was a, a, pretty, a pretty good story, and I was actually like one of my favorites from the, the latter half, or latter third of the book, I should say. And some pretty interesting concepts explored of seeking help, and does seeking help make you weaker? And I think this is something we face in our own world when we try to make the step to go to therapy a step that I'm trying to still make at some point in my life, not because I need it, but because I think it's a good thing for everybody to do. And I think it's good to talk out your feelings. And this almost felt like a therapy session for Luke. And the droid was saying, listen, it's okay if you seek help. It doesn't make you any weaker. You know, having this robot hand doesn't make you any less of a person. It's just another tool for your, your arsenal, no less than a, a ship or a, a lightsaber. It's, it's just going to be a part of you that you use and you can use it for either good or for bad. And it's just kind of there, you know? And he says, suffering can lead to problems with healing. You must not close yourself off to help commander. So I just thought it was a really great story on, again, like kind of the mental health of dealing with trauma and dealing with uh, revelation. Sarah, what are your thoughts on, on right hand man? I actually ended up quite enjoying the story because again, it is something totally different the ship they are on is called redemption if there is one thing i love in this anthology there are some great ship names between the empire and the rebels we have bright hope we have redemption redemption we have majesty i think is one of them uh, on the empire side so there's some really interesting ship names i know that's not important um but i appreciated um yeah luke's getting a little bit of a picture of luke's internal struggle also just a converse like having a story about limb difference um and like i appreciated that and how he was hesitant um to get this uh like prosthetic and then was accepting of it um and ultimately you know lived his life uh with it throughout his life so i thought that was really interesting to have that conversation as well um i also appreciated the um like the jabs that 21B does to the FX droid a couple of times throughout <laughs> this story. So there are a couple of moments in the story that are really lovely. And I all the all all in all thought this was like a soft, intimate story that um I thought on positively and and really appreciated its inclusion in this anthology. So shout out to Lydia King. It was definitely a feel-good moment. And speaking on the banter between the two droids, I love when when uh, 2B1, I think it is, when he goes, may the force be with you. And Luke's like, what did you say? And he's like, may the force be with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's like, I don't want the other B, droid to hear. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, which uh, like is really close to 221B Baker Street. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it felt intentional. You know, I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> Brandon, what did you think of, of uh, Right Hand Man? I loved it. I thought this was great. Again, like we were getting through a section of, of stories and I, <laughs> feel negative or i sound negative i'm not negative but this was such a great great story to end it as like the actual end of empire right because then we get into the will story um really great not only is 21b the droid that takes care of him uh and on hoth that we see initially um but also like kind of creating a character for 21b which is tough for a droid 
uh, was very effective and really cute and very just heartwarming, but also served as a great foil for Luke and the trauma, like you're saying, Brad, that he was going through. And like this mini therapy session, because who's really talking to him about all this stuff, you know, like is super impactful and super important um, and just very well written. And I really enjoyed it. I read it twice. I really loved it. Uh, one of my favorites of the entire book. Uh, two and be the hero. Uh, may he, uh, Danny Delk, voice of two and B, please answer my emails. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> he also voiced because Danny Delk, not only the voice of two and B, also the voice of Wicked the Ewok in the Ewoks wow. TV show. So I'm like, Danny Delk, you have to come on. We have to talk. Answer we Brandon's to, emails. Come we on. We have to gab. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so one day, but it was nice seeing him here. There's actually, I don't know if anyone listening used to read the Star Wars Insider. There used to be a column or a mini column with 2-1-B answering questions. And I believe it was one of Pablo's first, like, things that he would write. Um, I could be completely wrong. It could be Kevin Rubio, but I'm pretty sure it was Pablo writing as 2-1-B answering quote-unquote fan letters, which I thought was a lot of fun. So I love 2-1-B. I love this story. Uh, I don't know what else to say. I feel like I'm rambling. No, you're that's that's all great stuff. And and last thing I'll add to to that is one of the quotes that stuck with me the most. And it was Luke and he was kind of being like, Maybe I was destined to lose my hand. I just thought that was so silly, Luke. Just shut <laughs> up. You're still you're still so you're so idiotic. He's a skywalker, he's destined to lose his hand. God, yeah. That that actually yeah, that might have actually been a joke on that. So uh good catch there. But the the droid says all beings deserve to be cared for, to be healed. Moral perfection is no requisite for care. That would be cruelty itself as no beings are perfect. So I just thought that was kind of a nice blanket statement of like, everybody deserves to have care, to have access to health care. <laughs> you know, it's like a, this is like a right we should all have. And it's uh, important that no matter, uh, you know, who you are, where you come from, uh, it's so it's so essential. and. Uh, you know, even for Luke, even the mistakes that he's made running off from Dagobah and trying to face down Vader doesn't mean he doesn't deserve to have to not have care. He he needs to be cared for. He's in a fragile state right now. He's like an egg that can be easily cracked at any moment. So I just thought that was like a really good feel good message. So if anyone is trying to uh, get therapy in 2020, please go get therapy. It is the best. Yeah, uh, let's let's destigmatize that because it is it is the greatest. Um, so if you're thinking about it, just it it's the best <laughs> also um like if your office offers telehealth via um video conferencing or phone therapy um if you're feeling you know unsafe to go in in person those are perhaps options to you i also highly recommend therapy <laughs> <laughs> and i will say because i've been doing uh facetime with my therapist and it's been super great and then my fiance has been doing telehealth through her work uh therapy and doing it through facetime during her lunch so it's great everyone do therapy uh yeah the best it is the best yeah now is now is an easy time to do it because yeah it's all it's all virtual pretty much so <laughs> you don't have to leave your house <laughs> i will say two one b really out here saying it's okay to not be okay get help and it doesn't make you any weaker so great message great story love it lydia king Our last story here, finally, The Wills Strikes Back by Tom Engelberger. This, sh this is a batshit crazy story. <laughs> There's so much to cover here. There's just, 
Brandon, I, I would love you to kick it off to to close us out here. I love it. Uh, sequel to last uh, Fakpov's story. Uh, what was that one called? Just Journal of the Wills? or Just Wills. Just Wills. Um, so this was a nice kind of reprieve of that. I love, I can never, like, watching Empire again, I can only imagine what I'm going to think about The Crawl the next time I see it. Um, really loved this. What a great way to, it's like a little, um, it's like a little dessert. Like they give you a little mint when you're leaving the restaurant. They're like, here you go. Like, enjoy your night. I'm like, wow, what a nice time. What a great <laughs> book. And it really, it really is a great time. I hope they continue to do this trend. If they do, fact, Pav, uh, number three, because what, what a treat. What a delight. Good job, Tom. Yeah, that makes me think of like when they eventually get to Revenge of the Sith, when that goes war. I can't imagine what the wills are going to have to say about that. He goes, you're starting with war. I mean, you're skipping the whole clone war and you're just going to tell me there's a war. Like, I can just imagine the banter. I think that's literally going to be what it is, to be honest. There was a whole TV show and you skipped it all with one word. It's fine. He's like, well, we'll do the TV show in a couple of years. I'll have the ability to write these calls later. Like... I'm not skipping these entries. I'm just saving them for later. (laughs) Let's talk about some of our favorite parts of this. I'm going to go right to mine, I think. And this is probably because of recency effect, but the mention of getting Chewie back to Kashyyyk for life day to visit his son. And the Wills goes, what the fet? This is Lumpy's chance to shine. <laughs> Come on, we got to get him back to Lumpy. Uh, what about the Ord Mantell bounty hunter? We don't get that either. Is this, this is insanity. And uh, my other favorite part being when he says there's only one Wampa. He's like, oh, next thing you're going to tell me is Wilroy Hood just runs through the, ho- the background without saying anything. <laughs> so, so good. Sarah, tell me, tell me your thoughts on this. I know you, there are a couple parts that you loved. I tweeted earlier about how I love a lot of these stories across both of these anthologies. Um, but there is perhaps not a story I love more than Tom Engelberger's Will's stories. And it is a huge shout out alongside that to Mark Thompson and Jonathan Davis, who narrated, have narrated now both of these. And their banter, the way they, Mark Thompson does this like, oh, come on guys, like, like really, mm-hmm. um, like really high, kind of high pitch, kind of whiny um, uh, voice. And it's so funny. Um, I have just a freaking blast with these stories. Also, if you have not read The Mighty Chewbacca in the Forest of Fear, this is another one of Sarah Plug's other books. Um, that book is hilarious. The audio is great. I highly recommend. It's a middle grade novel, but um, it's wonderful. Um, there's just like, this is always the best note to end these anthologies on because it reminds us that we can't take these things too seriously. Um, and my favorite part in this is the, wait, Starfleet? Did you just say Starfleet? Are Kirk and Spock going to show up yeah. next? And he goes, I don't even know what Kirk and Spock are. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, this confirms my theory that Star Trek and Star Wars exist in the same galaxy. Um, and um, so I just have so much fun with these stories. And I th- really think that Tom Engelberger's work in general um, inserts a such levity into this universe and um provides a really fun voice because like Chewbacca in the Mighty Forest of Fear is has a lot of like Chewbacca noises <laughs> and like it's great yeah. it's it's great again I highly recommend and um this is probably my favorite of them all so this one left me with many smiles many laughs and um I'm really grateful that we have Tom Engelberger writing these stories for us. That's all I have to say. I could gush about it forever, but I probably should shut up. I will say uh, another great 
moment to really close out the the empire strikes back which is the the final shot of of the film is <laughs> the wills saying maybe you should have it end by having luke and leia looking out a window feeling sorry for themselves what a thrill ride yeah <laughs> just so great and it it really just kind of speaks to there is a bit of a depressing aspect to this movie but also hope and that's the thing that you know 2b1 recognizes as well as Luke looks like a, a man with hope in his heart. And, you know, despite everything that he's been through, he still kind of holds on to that. And that's the the beautiful part of, of this film. So any final thoughts on these stories, folks? I mean, this is this is it. We've we've come to the end of the road. Brandon, did you have any specific thoughts on this Will Strike backstory? I, I mean, besides loving it. No, I thought it was great. <laughs> I thought it was fun. I mean, everything y'all talked about, just dissecting the crawl in a very specific way is just a great way to go about it. Uh, what a good time. And then what a good book. Again, like this is such a great way to end it and make me feel nice and feel good. And I need to feel nice and good. Um, and this whole book did such a good job of telling stories. And even if something didn't hit for me, I think overall I gave it like an 8 out of 10. Which I feel is very, uh, like a very enjoyable book. And I've given a lot worse ratings to books this year. Um, and, uh, I can't wait to see what they do for the next one. Absolutely. I I'm very happy that we got the, the sequel to the first one and, um, return of the Jedi, I would imagine is going to happen in three years. I can't imagine they're going to do two and then like stop there. Like, <laughs> the, the OCD so in me, <laughs> yeah. the OCD in me, like could not even handle yeah. my bookshelf missing one of them. Yeah. Instead for, um, return of the Jedi, we're actually just gonna, um, we're gonna do, we're just gonna like do nothing um <laughs> just with the two and um I, i'm so glad that you have loved the two um i'm so <laughs> glad and for you completionists out there of your bookshelves <laughs> screw you suck yeah. it <laughs> i'll just write my no. own and it'll be yeah, all, exactly it'll be all ewoks and they're gonna be like you're gonna get a cease and desist letter i'm like it's fine i just my bookshelf is complete though i'll sell it yeah so, yeah, yeah. now they have point to of view yub nub yeah, from a certain point of yub nub. Really, yeah. really though. Well, that brings us to our, our final talking point here, Brandon. You have the privilege being on part three. You get to preview what's to come for from a certain point of view. Mm. Return of the Jedi. So all three of us have come up with our list for the top five points of view that we would love to see in Return of the Jedi. So you can consider these our initial predictions. Right. And or or pitches to Delray. If Delray is listening, or pitches. these are my pitches. Yeah. In three years, hopefully I'm a little more qualified. And be like, Brandon, we'll give you a shot. But continue. Yeah. Never say never, Brandon. I believe in you. But you're the <laughs> guest of honor tonight. And why don't you start with your five points of view for Return of the Jedi? Okay, I will. Uh number one, uh Bomar Monk, which you see at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, the little spider guy with the brain in the bucket. There is a great oh. story in I believe Tales from Jabba's Palace about it, sort of. Um, but I haven't read that in like 20 years. And so I'd like to see kind of the new, what's the new story? Because I think that was tied to Dr. Evazin, I want to say. Maybe. Um, but anyway, so Bomar Monk is my chronologically number one. Um, this wouldn't have been my option even three, four days ago. But we just saw Max Rebo in the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. Which means he survived Jabba's sail barge exploding, if we're counting Lego as <laughs> canon. And so I'd love to hear his story about surviving Jabba's sail barge somehow. And again, in 
Legends, we had Max Rebo surviving somehow, but I think there's an, an opportunity to maybe discuss his anatomy, his legs and his arms not necessarily being what we think they are. <laughs> My number three is uh, Crix Medine. General Medine, um, he's the bearded guy in the Rebel Briefing Room. The only reason I'm bringing him up, though, right? He's an action figure. He's a famous person. He signs autographs at Celebration. He's great. He won't answer my emails. But what's interesting, even reading this <laughs> book, he is not part of the Rebel Alliance until Return of the Jedi. He's not in this book. He's not referenced. He's not on Hoth. But then he's giving a briefing in Return of the Jedi. What's his story in canon? Because he was like an Imperial officer or whatever. But even then, if you read his Wikipedia, there is nothing leading up to Return of the Jedi. And then all of a sudden, it's like, surprise, he's like a general in the Rebellion. So there's a story there, and I want to hear it. So that's Crix Medine, my number three. Number four, Poplu, the Ewok, who drives the speeder bike, um, played, <laughs> by, played by Kenny Baker, uh, R2-D2. Wow. Um, and so that's the character, because Kenny Baker was supposed to play Wicket, got food poisoning the day that Wicket was supposed to shoot his scene with Carrie Fisher, uh, and then... Warwick Davis was like a 10 year old and they were like can you do this instead and that's like why Warwick Davis is like now the celebration host and like a big actor and you know so I think that's a good story but I think there's an element in Poplu's actual story like what made him want to get on a speeder bike that I think is interesting that's my number four are we still are we still all with me or am I just like saying no I'm with you you're so good with you yeah (laughs) okay number five this is so I, I I crapped a lot on characters that might not have existed on screen that were created as characters for stories in this anthology because there weren't characters to be you know made into fully formed short stories in empire so i feel like a hypocrite saying my number five uh which is whoever whoever wore leia's dress on endor before leia got there right they didn't stitch (laughs) that for her before she got there but then all of a sudden she's wearing this like nice dress with like a long sleeve t-shirt underneath that the Ewoks somehow have, was that someone they ate? Was that someone that used to live with them? Was that Sindel from the Ewok adventure? Who was it, right? What's going on here? Um, and so that's my number five. Who is that lady? Let's hear her story. And maybe it's like 10 years before Return of the Jedi or something like that. Um, but that's, those are my five. Hopefully those make a little bit of sense. Wow. Wow. Is all I have to say about that? Um, man, I... Thank God I wrote a long list because you've got a couple of, couple of mine here. And I, you said the Bomar monks. And I was like, he said my spider droid that I didn't know the name of. <laughs> and so I was just shocked here. But we are on the same wavelength because I, I, also, I, I also said, um, and now I know their name, the Bomar monks. Um, because I was like, it's so weird. It has such a weird design and it just like walks across at like the top of the front of Jabba's palace right when they walk in I want to know what's his job or what's her job you know like I don't know what they're doing I want to know what's going on with their brains um I have a couple more so I thought perhaps the leaf fanning Jawa um Mm. in in Jabba's palace um I want to know how he got there why he has this job fanning Jabba with a leaf. Um seems not like a great gig. Yeah. Like many of the gigs in Jabba's palace, but I would like to know why this Jawa is or what looks like a Jawa is not with his Jawa people. It's definitely an OSHA violation, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Could be a little yikes. Yeah. Um 
I also would love to see, you said Max Rebo, Brandon, I will go with, you know, Size Noodles or any of the, the dancers that are in the background. Um, I know that the Twi'lek dancer uh, is like the most prominent of them, but there's also like three other ones. I'd be curious to know why they wanted to become a dancer, if dancing is their passion or just they're just freaking stuck or if they like it and are stuck. I just want to know. Fascinating. I want Mon Mothma. Um, mm. Give us an actual Mon Mothma POV. I love Mon Mothma. I love the rebellion. I love the politics. Um, I also almost wrote Maydeen, so I'm glad that you covered that one. <laughs> we were like, we were really on the same page. Um, but I would love to know what's going on in Wicket's Day prior to Leia showing up. Um, so I just want to like know what like Wicket's all about. Um, and I, I'd, I'd like to see more from, from him, just like a story from his point of view and um, how he came across Leia in that moment. Um, and I have no idea if I've hit five or not. Did you have one more? You need one more? You I have one, one more? Yeah. One more. I'll leave Just the one that one we up. talked about prior to air um, uh, to you, Brad. But the last one that I'll said is I'm really curious about perhaps the gonk droid that gets his like feet fired for Brandon yeah. in the Jabba's palace or the droid that is flipping him in order for that to happen. I don't know. I'd just be curious. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great one. Yeah, size noodles we definitely need. I think that would be highly entertaining. What's her career been like, you know? Is this like a re- like a like a revival tour for her, you know? Does she escape Jabba's palace? I got so many questions. See, we got some of that um musician point of view in the first anthology, so I think we deserve more musician point of view on the last one. Yeah, plus, I agree. Size noodles is 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 singing for Zero was Jabba's uncle, uncle, right? And they were yeah. lovers. So that's interesting. That's a POV right there, right? You have to talk about that familial connection. Maybe she's into Jabba, right? I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see in three years. Damn. All right. So I got my five here. And uh but my first one, Iden Versio. I would love Iden mm. Versio. I think Christy Golden should come back to write Iden Versio's point of view because she wrote Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad, which was an Iden Versio book. I think we need that point of view, whether it's on the Battle of Endor, which we've only really seen cinematically in uh, the video game. So I would love to see that and maybe have some seeds of doubt within Iden's mind of what the Empire stands for. My number two is Chief Chirpa. Chief Chirpa is the, the man, the myth, the legend, or I should say the Ewok. He served as a chief of Council of Elders in Bright Tree Village, and he's just adorable as heck. And I just want to learn more about him and, you know, what it what it feels like to to lead the Ewok tribe and in these tough times and having to make tough choices. So uh, I think that would be a highly entertaining uh, point of view. My third point of view is the Bothan spies. I want to know if we get that story. Maybe we get it in this book. Although I would not also be opposed to making the character of Manuel Both Hands, also known as Manny Both Hands, uh, canon. Originally in Kevin Rubio's The Return of Tag and Bink special edition, Manny Both Hands was the character that stole the plans for the Death Star. So when they say Manny Both Hands died to bring us this information, it's actually the character Manny, last name Both Hands. I had no I, idea about I this. Want, 
I do love that idea because Gary Weta has written two stories so far, right? He wrote the Raymond story and then he wrote Rogue Two. And it, I mean, everyone's been like, oh, like the Bothans, blah, blah, blah. It'd be funny if he wrote the actual Bothans story for Return of the yeah. Jedi. That could be good. Yeah, that so, could be that could be pretty good for sure. My fourth story would be Or Marco, aka Pruneface. We do see him show up in Resistance Reborn, so I would love to maybe learn more about him and uh, you know, why he's got the eye patch. Uh, he seems just so mysterious. I wanna I wanna know more about him. And my fifth one, I was kind of torn on this one, but I love tragedy. And this is the saddest death in all of Star Wars. I want to know about those two Ewoks, one of which dies because an ATST shoots at it. And then he's just sitting there and the Ewoks just like, and he's like trying to shake the other Ewok. I want to know more about that couple. I know it's going to be a sad story, but I really <laughs> want to know. Um, if we're not going with the sad story, though, give me some uh, Force Ghost Anakin manifesting into a ghost, a ghost and being like, why the heck am I here? And uh, why do I look like myself? 30 years ago this is weird um that would be kind of funny so uh yeah sarah you look very concerned by my choice i'm a little bit shocked about how dark you went there with the the poking at the body um and they died and what's their relationship and and they're so sad about the poking at the body i listen we all know after all the there's no after all the tragedy i read about in this volume i don't know if i could handle that there's no happy endings uh, for couples in Star Wars, so just give me the story Ooh, so I can ouch. find some sort of closure on it, you know, 20-some years after the fact. I just need to know more about that couple and uh, what they went through to, to get there. But it would be a sad story, but maybe, maybe the one Ewok that lives finds a happy life afterwards, so you just never know. All right. All right. Uh, also, give me Akbar. just saying. Well, that is it for this episode. Uh, we went through our Return of the Jedi choices, and that brings us to the end of the road. Brandon. Thank you for joining us on Friends of the Force and sticking with us through this arduous 13-chapter <laughs> process, but we appreciate it. You brought some great insight. And all of our listeners, thank you for listening for like nearly four and a half hours of uh, content on this book. Kind of crazy, but I'm glad you stuck around and props to all of you. So, Brandon, where can our listeners find you online? Where can they listen to Talking Bay 94? And what do you got coming up in the works? Yeah, uh, Talking Bay 94, you can find anywhere at Talking Bay 94. Luckily, that was not taken. Um, so Twitter, Instagram are our two most um, active channels. And then, of course, on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hopefully, I'm there. And if I'm not, please let me know because I really try to make sure we're everywhere. Um, coming up for the show, next week's episode, I don't know when this airs, um, but upcoming guests include Chris Bartlett, who uh, played a bunch of different roles in. Um, the Mandalorian, uh, including Zero the Bounty Hunter, the Kubaz playing the flute at the beginning of the first episode, which is like my favorite part of The Mandalorian, uh, and who's also like the official C-3PO for Star Wars now. Uh, really good conversation, really nice guy. Can't wait for people to hear it. Um, I also have Dan Perry, who designed the opening titles for Star Wars, which is crazy. Uh, Paul Davids, who wrote Glove of Darth Vader, which is um, one of the worst Star Wars books of all time, but a really good conversation. Um, and then on Friday, I mean, again, depending on when this comes out, on Black Friday, we will have a new merch drop happening, which we haven't had in a long time. Um, the last time we did it was with Super Yaki, which was awesome. This will be just kind of separate on our own. Um, some fun, cool stuff happening that a lot of people have been asking for. Um, reprints of and some new shirts and some other stuff that we haven't tried. So um, should be should be cool. Should be fun. Lots My of good stuff. My wallet is ready. 
<laughs> Agreed. Seconded. <laughs> well, that's all uh, great, Brandon. I'm really excited for, for all of your episodes. You've been just doing a, a great job lately, so big kudos to you. Thanks, man. Sarah, where can our listeners find you online, and, and what do you got going on? Um, I have nothing going on. Uh, you all can right. find me here on Friends of the Force for these past three episodes and maybe a couple others uh, upcoming. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd and Goodreads at SEH221. Um, and that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. I'm reading lots of books. So follow me on Goodreads. Please be my friend. Um, I love talking about books right now. <laughs> You know, I don't know who keeps inviting you onto this podcast, but apparently they put you on the schedule for the for the coming months to review more books with me. So uh, I'm sure you'll be back. Uh, I don't know who approved it, but I guess I'll have to deal with it at this point. Yeah, me <laughs> either. I'm so sorry for the sad host who has to deal with me. Um, but <laughs> no, I'm really glad to be here always talking about books and things. And um, I'm so glad that we uh, had Brandon join us today. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And as for Friends of the Forest, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and make sure to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to the podcast. Helps others to join in the discussion around Star Wars. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash friends of the force. Thank you to Anna, Cheryl, Christina, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Jessica, Marie Claire, Marvin, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, and T for making this show possible. And for all of you out there listening, thank you so much for your support. Brandon, thank you so much. And thank you to our previous guests, Maggie and Amy, for also joining us for this incredibly fun three-part series on, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. And thank you to Delray Books, too, for sending us along some review copies. So that is all for this week, everybody. We will see you next time, and may the Force be with you always. Friends of the Force is a proud member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. To learn more about our sister shows, find us on Twitter at We Are Escape Pods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.